Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 142 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Reality of Lyme, an interview with Johanna La Liberté. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. So, Matt, we named this episode The Reality of Lyme because this young woman agreed to come on to the podcast, not after she's gotten through her Lyme disease challenges, but while she's right in the middle of her current treatment protocol. She's not feeling well. She can't work. She can't do any of the things that she customarily does in her daily life, but she agreed to do the podcast because she wanted to capture this for folks who are going to be at this stage in their journey at some point in the future. Rich, I really enjoyed the interview with Johanna today, not only because she's from the East Coast like us, but because we know Johanna personally from Abby Lotridge's weekly Lyme group. And she comes on so sick but yet still comes on to help other people and give them guidance based on her own experience. She's in the throes of Lyme, but she's finally in a good place where she's treating with Western and Eastern medicine. She's using IV antibiotics in combination with other alternatives to help her with detoxing like IV glutathione and vitamins. And she's making a lot of progress in just a few weeks of being on these IV treatments. Matt, the reality of Lyme is there's also a beautiful element of Lyme. And that is there's a great deal of empathy that comes from going on a Lyme disease journey. And this is another part of the reality of Lyme that this woman manifests. Her childhood was impacted by Lyme disease because her mother was sick with Lyme disease. And now her adult life is impacted by Lyme disease. And despite all of the challenges that she has, she wants to give back to the community and memorialize the challenges that she's facing right now. And because of that, we are really blessed to introduce Johanna to our Tick Bootcamp community. Hey, Johanna, and welcome to the <laughs> Tick Bootcamp podcast. Thank you. So I have to share with our listeners that uh, we are very familiar with you. We've uh, actually met you on, on a number of different occasions through the Abby Lotrich uh, Lyme Disease Support Group, and uh, we're just really excited to have you. We wanted to have you on the podcast for probably six or eight months, and uh, we had some challenges with coordinating, coordinating our schedules, but here we are together finally. So thank you for blessing us and our listeners with uh, joining the podcast. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you guys for inviting me. So Johanna, now that uh, we've gotten that out of the way, can you tell us where do you live? Uh, I live in Bergen County, New Jersey. And how long have you been a New Jersey gal? Forever. Jersey girl. So Johanna, what is it that you um, dreamed about doing when you were a child growing up? Um, you know, I was always really into performance um, and connecting with people. I think I had a lot of different dreams uh, and the way that life kind of the way it progressed and flowed. I just always had uh, professions or services that really connected to other people. So it was always being intertwined with people in their lives um, and kind of helping people is really what I've always wanted to do. So when you're preparing yourself for your future, what type of educational pursuits did you think about so that you could prepare yourself for this uh, future? Um, well, I started out, I actually got a small like dance scholarship and I taught ballroom and Latin dancing for six years. Um, and within that, I had a lot of technical training that went into it. It was months long, people were getting cut. It was a very vigorous program to follow. Um, and I was with that company for six years. And while I was there, um, we had business and sales classes as well as learning to teach. Um, and I connected with people and that kind of led me to then go to get certified. Uh, I did an adolescent training for fitness. I did an adult training for fitness. Um, and 
people always wanted me to work with their kids and doing parties. Um, and I came across some families with individuals with special needs. And I was just like, there's nothing anywhere. Um, and that ended up leading me to connect with um, a board certified behavior analyst, which is a BCBA. And I went through a total training program that involved, um, you know, a lot of time hands-on, a lot of literature, a lot of testing. And I got my registered behavior technician license and I was working with special needs. Um, so I went through a lot of more certification and hands-on processes to get to where I am and where I keep going. So your pre-Lyme life was yeah. one where you were very athletic, right? You, you were, you were, you were an athlete, you were a dancer, you were, you were working, uh, professionally in the athletic community, you pivoted over to training other people. So you were just always a very athletic gal. Always. I started soccer at the age of four. I played all through high school, year round, summer, fall, winter, spring. Um, I was also involved in musical theater. I did outside performance companies, um, always very active. Um, and even after that, I tried to, with the circumstances that were in my life, make the best. And that's why taking this dance opportunity um, really fit in for my life and for other family members that I had to care for. And uh, just always active and always interactive with other people. I really liked learning how to listen to other people um, and how to connect and, and try to use every opportunity to kind of strengthen each other and support each other. So now you were a performing artist for many years, uh, yeah. first as a dancer and then ult ultimately as a vocalist. Can you talk to us about your experience as a vocalist? Sure. Well, I grew up doing musical theater uh, through high school and beyond. Um, and then that kind of took a back seat and I was just doing just dance for quite some time. Um, and then I auditioned for a company and I landed a spot as a backup dancer and singer. We toured Florida twice. Um, and when I came home from that, they were working on a new project where I was able to audition to be a vocalist. And I did that with them. And then that transpired into me um, growing in the world of music and cover bands and things I didn't really know about, but I wanted to be part of. And then I became the singer for Radio Nashville. Um, and that was just really fun. I got to kind of go back to the roots of the singing, which I loved so much. I love dancing, but I love the whole aspect of performing. Now you grew up in New Jersey, which is a tick endemic state. And I'm <laughs> yeah. wondering during all of these experiences that you had where you were singing and dancing and engaging in these different athletic activities, whether or not you were trained about ticks and Lyme disease. I was not. However, a lot of my childhood um, that was pretty challenging is that my mom was very sick with Lyme disease. Um, and because it was the early 80s and she was the mother of three children, um, it was dismissed and it became extremely neurologic for, neurological for her to the point where she ended up having a stroke. So when I was young, I remember hearing about Lyme disease um, and, and how sick it made her. And I was very young to see her sick. Actually, she was separated from us for about six months at one time um, because of how sick she was. Um, so when I got older, I kind of knew about it, but um, you know, you just don't think it's gonna happen to you. So talk about when your Lyme disease symptoms began to present to you. When did your health begin to change? Um, you know, we're talking about the beginning a lot. And I think that 
as a child, I was, it, it seemed a lot of black and white. I always had a lot of energy or I was very fatigued. Uh, and that, and that um, kind of lifestyle that I had actually affected me a lot in high school, affected me a lot after, but I was able to manage it better. Um, I would say around 2010, I just remember that that's when I first started to go to the hospital when I started having these episodes and they just kept saying things like you have vertigo, you have syncope, you have this, you have that. Um, and then I would say it was another couple of years um, where I was full force or completely bedridden where I was just like, I'm just running myself down. Um, I didn't, I didn't know what it was then, but it was really 2015 when like life took a crashing halt that I was like, something is definitely going on. And it's not just having a very busy life schedule. It's something is more. So let's talk about how these symptoms progressed. So there, there is this window of time where your, your, your Lyme disease symptoms, which at that time you didn't know were Lyme disease symptoms were developing. So talk, talk to us about first, how your Lyme disease symptoms affected you in the beginning and how they progressed and continue to interfere with your life. Right, at first, um, I was having, which a lot of us in the Lyme community can know as like flare-ups, right? And, and anybody I saw said, maybe it's a fibromyalgia type of thing, you know, and I have thoughts about that. Um, and it was just when, like, let's say from 2010 and on, I was having a lot of dizzy spells um, where really like the world around me was moving and I was very tired. And sometimes for three, four days, sometimes a week, um, my body felt heavy and there was a lot of that, which I know now is that brain fog. And I just thought it was utter exhaustion because I was doing so much. I was doing so much work, so much fitness, so many people. Um, and those symptoms started reoccurring more. And that's when it became completely interfering with my life where I was like, something is not something is going on and I'm just ignoring it. I'm letting days pass through this cycle, you know, thinking it was maybe exhaustion, anxiety, um, not really paying attention to the early signs that were there because everybody around you expects you to keep going when you don't feel well. Now, Joanna, were there any parallels between the symptoms that you were developing at that stage in your life and what you had seen in your mom who had Lyme disease? Um, I was, I was young when she was most of the, and I mean, I've seen how it how it's affect her now as, as uh, you know, as an adult who has neurological issues from it. Um, I would say that I more so thought maybe the autoimmune issues that she had were kind of passed to me, which would make sense for some of these flare-ups that I was going through. It wasn't like I didn't have any knowledge about it, but I definitely wasn't as self-educated um, as I was, but definitely that exhaustion and that like kind of confusion, which we call brain fog, where, you know, there's no other way to really describe it except for just like utter confusion um, and, and totally exhausted. So let's, if you don't mind, talk a little bit more about your mom and her Lyme disease journey. When did your mom's Lyme disease journey begin? At least uh, when do you remember it uh, beginning? So I was, I was very young. Um, I try to talk to her about it now. Um, and try to be uh, thoughtful in the conversation because you know that was also a very hard time for her. She was, I was the youngest of three um, and it was hard for her to be present and care for us because she was so ill. 
but she remembers she was a marathon runner. She was a downhill ski racer. Our, our whole family's been very athletic. Um, and she also had her own bridal gown company, but she remembers being bit by a tick in the May of like the early nineties and seeing a rash um, and still going to doctors and them saying, no, 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 you have female stress and you've got three kids and you're just tired. Um, and it was actually a neurologist who she still sees that said, hey, I think you might have Lyme disease. And they still weren't really talking about it. You know, it was like late eighties when they started talking about it. Um, and she was dismissed for so long that I think I was maybe around like five or seven or something where she ended up having a stroke um, and she was separated from us for a while. It was about six months that she was hospitalized and rehabilitated um, and had treatment and we had to have other family come in and, and help take care of us. Um, I, I actually have memories of that I kind of forgot about, about seeing my mom with a pick line when I was younger that um, until we started talking about it, I was like, I don't remember that. You know, that was intimidating for a child to see. Um, so when I say to her now, like, I just, I can't understand why I'm resting, but I'm not, I'm not feeling rested. And she just can simply say, I understand, which is support because no one can fix this. So it's nice when she just says, I understand. And now I'm thinking, imagine if I had this, but I had three children and I was dismissed. I, I think that she has always been someone who has encouraged me to really keep fighting. So now your mom recalls having been bitten by a tick and she remembers uh, getting sick after having bitten by the tick. So your Lyme disease is not congenital. You were likely bitten by a tick as well. Right. And we have, we have this conversation because I'm like, mom, you must have given it to me. Um, but she says, I remember when I was bit and I remember what they told me. Um, but I also think that, you know, other autoimmune issues, you know, they, those can be related. I think I was kind of born with a little bit of a weak immune system, immune system to start with. So that when I was exposed to this, my body just had absolutely no idea what to even do. So, now we have this multi-generational Lyme experience in your family where your mom was bitten by a tick and she was sick for a good portion of your childhood. And I guess for almost the entirety of your life. And now you start to have symptoms which you don't initially connect to Lyme disease. So let's talk about the doctors that you went to see and what they were diagnosing you with when you were going through this um, health journey. Well, uh, we all know doctors in emergency room, their, their job is to treat an emergency. So, so those things are really to like rule out when we had CAT scans or, you know, uh, stuff with your heart, those things were kind of, then the damage wasn't as bad as it was years later. Um, so a lot of medical professionals in emergency rooms weren't healthy. They just kind of hydrated, sent me on my way. Um, and I, when I started to really seek out answers um, because I knew of my mom's condition. Um, I started with just a general doctor who did a full workup. Um, and that was in January of 2015. Um, and I actually came back positive for Lyme disease and they told me no. And the mistake that I made was I didn't ask for my lab results. I didn't ask to take them home. I listened to what they said because I was new. Um, 
But continuing forward, I ended up seeing um, a gynecologist to say, is my hormones off? And what's going on? I'm, I'm, I'm so tired. I literally can't keep up with life. Um, and then I had some issues showing with my kidneys. And they said, we think you should see a nephrologist. So I saw a nephrologist who said, you seem like you probably have lupus. My ANA's tests were all very positive off the chart and diagnosis like that are in my family. So I'm thinking, oh, great, this is what I'm dealing with. She did say, however, I also think you could have Lyme disease. She, she didn't dismiss it. She was very good. But I said, they already test me. I said, no, I didn't think of it. Then I went from a nephrologist to a rheumatologist um, who said, we're not going to test you. Um, it already came back negative. And at that point, when they asked me to see my lab results, that's when I was like, oh, I should get a copy of all of it. I should be taking a copy of everything. Who sent me to a neurologist for having this confusion, this brain fog, this tired, you know, go, going to completely active to bedridden, um, who said, you know, everything's fine. You're having migraines. It's all anxiety. Um, and I finally went back to a rheumatologist and I said, just test me again, because I got my lab results and I saw antibodies present that weren't CDC approved. Um, and I went straight to research and I said, this has got to be, this is it. We know they mimic a lot, but the fact that I was showing any antibodies and I luckily was in such a flare, I was like carried into the doctor's office. They took the blood and then two days later they came back and they said, yeah, you do have Lyme disease. And I was like, wow, a year and a half later to the point where I can't walk. I told you. And they were so resistant to just do it. They were so resistant to just test again. So it sounds to me like the initial testing that was done, which did, did have some bands of Lyme disease, Correct. was the diagnosis that continues to interfere with all the, of the subsequent doctors from properly diagnosing you because they would, they would discuss with you Lyme disease. For example, your nephrologist talked with you about Lyme disease, but you had said, no, I don't have Lyme disease. And because you were left with that general impression that you didn't have Lyme disease having been previously tested, that diagnosis was never really explored. And the doctors were looking at other answers for the uh, health questions that you were presenting them. Yeah. And at that time too, the nephrologist, we, I mean, we were almost at the part, like I've had a ton of procedures done. You know, I've had MRIs, I've had scans, I had a, a spinal tap. I've had, I've had, um, you know, now I just have this Hickman surgery. And at that time, the nephrologist was saying like, my kidneys were showing such damage that we were like, wow, this is, you know, so they, they put that thought of Lyme disease. Cause I explained to her other things. And I, I think the reason why, you know, it's, it's a little hard to remember where she was saying it could be that, but it also seems like this um, is not because she had that lab work in front of her. It's because I brought it up saying, is it possible that this could be cross reacting? That's why she said it is possible, but her main concern was to see what we could do to get my kidneys back functioning. And that um, these kidneys infections that I was experiencing were, were really, really difficult in the beginning of the Lyme disease and all of us just thinking, you know, I had lupus. So now talk to us about um, what your mother's reaction was <laughs> as you were getting sicker and sicker. Um, was she, was she concerned that you weren't seeing the proper doctors? Was she concerned that you had Lyme disease and you weren't, you maybe were not taking it seriously enough? Um, 
I think that I have always been very good at being strong for other people around me. And I definitely know that my family was kind of like, keep us in the loop when you see these doctors, you know, they were supportive. It was more silent. Um, I was experiencing a lot of anxiety going through this process because it's a lot of testing, it's waiting. It's scary testing, it's waiting. It's, it's not knowing if you can trust the doctors. Um, I don't think she thought it was Lyme disease. We really kind of all thought I was just having life with autoimmune and I have to figure out how to manage it. But I do remember when I saw the results, the first thing I thought of was, oh my gosh, my mom is not going to want to hear this. Um, and my mom kind of being like a really tough person. She's this petite little sweet woman. And I called her on the phone and I said, well, I have Lyme disease. And she said, well, I figured so. Are you coming home soon? And I said, yep. And she said, okay, I see you at home. And we both were kind of like in, in shock about it. Um, but, you know, the treatment that followed was one of the reasons why I am now doing an intravenous. I, I still, I got a diagnosis, but I wasn't properly treated. We're going to get to that in a minute. I want to talk to you yeah. more about your developing symptoms and how your symptoms impacted your life. So as your, as your symptoms were developing, you're this athletic kid who is pursuing all kinds of both dance and musical um, artistic pursuits. Um, how were you, how were you um, affected um, by all of these symptoms? Yeah, well, the music and the performing, you know, that dance was a full-time and fitness was a full-time thing. Um, but when I came into the world of like the music scene and cover bands and, and, and projects and entertainment companies, that was kind of like not full blown career. My career was continuing my education and special needs. Um, so that was going to be a registered behavior technician. And I worked at centers, I worked at schools and I worked at, as a paraprofessional one-on-one -on -one with individuals. Um, I worked privately at home with people who brought me in as their uh, behavioral therapist. And really what started to happen there, which, which was such a hard part of this journey with the guilt and the anxiety is I would have to be canceling. I would be making these appointments where people were relying on me to help them. And you want to have consistency and you want to, you know, grow your career and, and, and show up and be reliable. And I was getting hit with attacks that kept me bedbound to the point where I kept saying, I can't come in today. I can't come in today. You're not reliable. So I was working so hard towards this full career to special needs to create this business, but I was unreliable because my health was unreliable and I didn't have answers to give them. Were there times when you were working with folks in the special needs community that you felt your illness was limiting your capacity to serve them the way you wanted to, even when you were able to show up? Um... You know, the interesting thing about this, <laughs> I'm choking up already, the families in the special needs community were the most compassionate to me saying, I'm not feeling well, and it would be irresponsible for me to be with your individual today. It's about safety. And they were the families that said, hey, you take as much time as you need. We are here when you come back. You are part of our family. You have invested your time. There are some times I showed up and of course I wasn't well. I pushed through it. 
Um, I think a lot of times when we look inward and it's so drowning, the waves are so big, it's actually help for, helpful to be outward and help other people. But sometimes you only have so much to give. But I really want to note that the families that know what it's like to have a struggle of any kind were the most. If I wanted to work at a school and a center or other families privately, you can't just say, hey, I can't show up today. I don't feel well. They're going to say, okay, bye, you're gone. And by the way, you know, now we have this on your record. If anybody wants to call us, we're going to tell them you're unreliable. But I had families that I invested my time with and work that said, if you need to rest, you need to rest. And they were extremely compassionate. And, and it has grown my uh, motivation to just get healthier, to go back and do everything I can for them. What impact did your developing symptoms have on you socially? Meaning, did it have an impact on friendships, on intimate relationships, or in any other way? All of the above. I was working. Um, I'd say we'll, we'll go back to like 2013 through 2021 now. You know, I was, um, I was performing at least two nights a weekend. So that was all weekend. And during the week, I was teaching fitness classes, dance classes, teens, youths. I was running support groups. I was working with individuals and the families. And a lot of it was community integration. Um, so we were out and about and I couldn't do any of it. I had to start telling the bands that I was with, you need to get a sub, which is difficult. You have to do the show without me, which is so difficult. Um, families, I can't go there. I, I wasn't able to drive for quite some time. At, at one point, 2017, I couldn't drive for two months until they figured out what was going on with me neurologically. And it was shattering. Um, and that is when a lot of depression sank in because everybody's life around me kept moving and I was so active and mine was stuck. And it's hard to say, I can't make plans with you or I can't be there. I can't go out with my girlfriends and party. I can't go to this gig. Um, life literally just stopped and everyone kept moving and I didn't understand. I didn't understand how it could happen to me. Now you said your diagnostic journey was about a year and a half. Uh, that came to an end when you finally found a doctor who was willing to test you for Lyme disease again. What type of Lyme disease test did the doctor conduct that ultimately definitively defined you with Lyme disease? So she just ran another Western blot because I literally went there and I was like, please just do it again. Um, and because I was in the flare up and the infection was active, right? The, you know, the microbes came out of the red blood cells. They were in my bloodstream. I was, they were able to be detected. It was just a Western blot. Um, and I had, and I've had many of those through the years. I've also had other, other more sensitive lab testing to confirm it that show other bands that show other co-infections. Um, but at first it was just the simple Western blot. And I always say I'm lucky that I was so sick at that day when they took my blood, because that was, that was all I needed to know that I wasn't crazy, like the way people around me were telling me. And I, I actually believed it as well. So Johanna, talk to us more what it was like when you finally got that positive confirmation that you have Lyme disease. You mentioned that your mom was not surprised, but what was it like for you to get that confirmation? Um, it's like, I don't want to say too much. It was a, it was a family member of mine that worked at the doctor's office and that's how I got to go in there. It was to see a rheumatologist. 
I kind of like skipped a little bit of a waiting list. And, but they still didn't want to do that. They wanted to focus more on fibromyalgia. They wanted to focus more on the ANA. They wanted, they wanted to focus on all that stuff. Um, and when I was going up the elevator and I saw the lab work and I was like, give me that. I'm not waiting. <laughs> I've been waiting long enough. I looked at it and I just said, I knew it. I knew it. The second I went back to my original lab work that showed a Lyme specific band years ago, but just wasn't CDC at the time qualified. Um, I knew, I knew I was sick. I wasn't, I wasn't surprised after, after the intense research that I did in conversations that I had, I knew that's this, what it was. And I just needed to find one person who would run the test without being so oppositional to it. So Johanna, you just hit on a really important point. I believe that your first Lyme test was not CDC positive and resulted in you going in a long journey to get your proper diagnosis, which was Lyme disease. So do you think that the standards set forth by the CDC and the strict enforcement of those standards is really hurting Lyme patients and causing them to get even more sick and having a harder time to get, you know, to get treatment because it's been so long for with the Lyme in their body? Absolutely. I think that the CDC standards, um, you know, to, I think that it's improperly stating what it is. There is no standard at all. If your body is to make any kind of antibody to fight this particular infection, that means there's an infection in your body. You don't need two or three bands uh, to show present to know that you have a foreign invader in your body. Um, and I think they said it that way. Uh, you know, these are my thoughts because then other doctors can say to you, you have lupus, you have fibromyalgia, you have rheumatoid arthritis, you have MS, and then they're able to diagnose, put you in that category and medicate and completely skip over the root cause of infection that is causing this autoimmune, that is causing everything else. And not only is the CDC standard not a standard, they're not teaching it. There's limited literature, there's liter there's limited lectures, there's limited doctors that are able to teach others how to treat and and even those ones that do you know they're fearful they put their life on the line out for us their license um and they get in trouble a lot of the time because they're not trying to just treat you like one of the cattle and say this this is this autoimmune get out of here they really try to focus on healing a body systemically it's so mind-blowing how hard they try to break their neck to not look at a Lyme diagnosis because your mom suffered with Lyme for so long, finally got a diagnosis and had a stroke because of it. You then tested for Lyme and had this family history and they don't even tell you that you came up with, you know, a little bit positive or a tighter here and there positive for, for Lyme. And then because of your persistence and because of your relationships with, with this doctor, you finally were able to get a positive Lyme test. Yeah. So, now, I know all of us are just shaking our head like and 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 sadly um when I first went to one of the Lyme forums and I saw people saying what you just said I said that is nonsense if you're sick you're sick I was so resistant to actually believing that this system is in place I was so resistant but when I kept being told there was nothing wrong with me and I'm very hyper aware of myself emotionally, physically, spiritually, and I was like, something's not right. But I mean, at first I couldn't comprehend it. And when we have these conversations with people who don't know about Lyme disease, um, who don't know about naturopaths and, and LLMDs, they, they go to straight medicine. They can't, they can't comprehend it. And I, that's why I don't judge people who, um, 
who are resistant to what we're talking about now. It really takes a lot of devotion to, to really fully understand. So Johanna, talk to us more now. You finally get this diagnosis. Yeah. What doctor do you decide to work with to treat your Lyme disease? And what is that treatment? Well, I stayed with the rheumatologist. I'm thinking to myself, oh, she did it. She figured it out. No, I asked for it. I, I basically begged for it. I was, take my blood, please. Um, and what they did was just, I got four weeks of doxycycline, which we all know is really rough. One in the morning, one at night. And during that four week period, that was the first four weeks in fall of October, 2016, where a family that I worked with three days a week, I couldn't, an individual that I worked with two days a week, I couldn't, and I could not perform at all. Everything stopped because of my Herx reaction to the doxycycline, which we know is uh, it's very hard to explain to people who don't feel it. Um, but also it meant it was working. So I felt like, um, I wasn't fully prepared for how I was going to feel. I was basically immobile. Um, and then it was just that though, it was four weeks and that's it because of the way, I don't know how into this you want to get that my body was presenting as IgM compared to IgG. They thought this was new. Meanwhile, I'm like, I've been going to the hospital since 2010 with fainting spells and, and, and weakness. Um, but because they saw uh, that type of band, um, you know, they think it means new. They think it means acute, but really it means active. So I was just very active. They gave me four weeks, sent me on my way. And that winter of 2017 was the first year I experienced migraines to the point where I was hospitalized for two days. And it was excruciating. So Johanna, the, your rheumatologist clearly had a misunderstanding of how to interpret the Lyme tests <laughs> yes. and couldn't appreciate the fact that you had late stage disseminated Lyme disease and therefore only treated you with four weeks of doxycycline saying, it's a recent infection, you'll be good to go. And of course, we know that that's not the case when you have late stage disseminated Lyme and, and that wasn't gonna be enough to get you over the hump or really enough at all to help you get even better. So did your doctor, did this rheumatologist give you any guidelines or instructions on, on things to do to help your gut health or your immune system encounter the damage that the strong doxycycline was doing to you. And also maybe some pointers to help with, with detoxing the, you know, the toxins out of your body and respond to the Herxheimer reactions. Absolutely none. I was giving vitamin D because I was severely deficient, which is common. Most people are those with Lyme are, you know, more severely deficient. Um, I was given a strong dose of vitamin D doxycycline. I wasn't even on a probiotic. I had no idea what detoxing was. Um, I wasn't in that part of my journey yet where uh, I knew about juicing, I knew about nutrition, I knew about all of it. They just kept saying I had post-Lyme disease syndrome. And I was like, I still don't feel well. I'm having crazy headaches. My hands are getting stuck, they're twitching. I'm, I can't move one of my legs. And they just said, no, 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 you should feel better in a time. And I was, I, I, I wasn't, reliable for anybody in my life. And also people around me who didn't know about Lyme disease were just kind of like, why aren't you getting better? Are you sure it's not in your head? Now, Johanna, I just want to interrupt real quick. So your, your rheumatologist after this four week window, when you were feeling the same, if not worse, basically said to you, you have post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome, which is something the CDC now is pushing on their website. And really 
and even per the CDC website, there's, there's nothing we can do for you, right? You just kind of have to live with it now. Was, was that the response you got from your rheumatologist at the end of that four-week window of the antibiotics? Yeah, uh, and she was a very, very nice doctor. Um, she had lovely bedside manner. She just had absolutely no education in Lyme disease and probably should have referred me to other doctors, which eventually I was. But you know, when you when you when you work with people that are all involved in the CDC, you're going to eventually have the same response. The same thing it was when I went to an infectious disease doctor. After she sent me on my way with four weeks. Um, you know, I started experiencing these headaches and, and my whole life, I, I had more stomach issues and a lot of fatigue, but I never had headaches in my life until the Lyme really progressed, um, to the stage that it got when I, when, when I finally figured out what it was and I was knocked off. I mean, I can't, I mean, that sometimes I was like euthanize me. It's not worth it. It's, it's that painful to have this much inflammation, no relief, um, and I just remember after that rheumatologist, I think I went back to my to my general doctor too, and and who, which I work with the nurse practitioner, and I love her because she knows I'm educated. And I walk in there sometimes saying, "Test me for this, 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 and that, and that," and she'll look at me and be like, "What's going on?" And then all this stuff comes back abnormal, and we kind of have a map to follow because I spend so much time researching and educating. Um, but I went from that rheumatologist. I ended up going to a different rheumatologist, uh, of course, because the ANA was raised again, right? The anti-nuclear antibody test showing autoimmune. So I then again was like, okay, I probably had Lyme disease a little bit, um, but I really think there's something related to autoimmune. This guy wanted to not talk about Lyme disease at all. Those tests came back positive, but he wanted to focus that I was also showing positive results for rheumatoid arthritis and Sjogren's which my mother's also been told she has. It's in your family, it's genetic. It just came out in you because you're young and you had stress to your immune system. I'm like, and, and despite the fact that there's been a clear connection between Lyme disease and autoimmune disease, right. even so much so where there's been even another study this year, I, I believe out of Johns Hopkins, proving that Lyme disease alters your immune system to attack the body and generate an autoimmune condition from the Lyme bacteria. None of these doctors or rheumatologists who are supposed to be trained in this ever thought this could be related to Lyme disease or a result of the Lyme disease. Right, they're always, they're focused on that quick diagnosis instead of what is the root cause? What caused this person's immune system to not recognize invaders? And then everyone's swinging their swords. And we have a total, autoimmune disease catastrophe. Um, and really when I saw this other rheumatologist, I kind of, you know, I was still at the point where I didn't believe it. Sometimes I had to look at my lab results just to be like, okay, that's real. Because so many people were doubting me and, and I didn't get better with the treatment that they told me would make me better. Um, but it was when they wanted to put me on methotrexate, oh my goodness, for rheumatoid arthritis where I looked into it and um, and certain people in my life were like, do it, do it, do it. And I was like, no way would I ever go on something like that because I don't fully agree with this diagnosis. And by then I was kind of creating the momentum to, to fight back a little bit. So I went back to my general, they did another Lyme disease to test. It came back again in acute phase IgM and she put me on doxycycline again, which is I was on for like two months straight um, still no detoxers, no binders. Um, I think then I was smart enough to know to go on probiotics. That's about it. 
Um, I started my journey in learning about juicing and nutrition, but I was on that for two whole months waiting to see the infectious disease doctor. And it, it, Johanna, it just seems like you keep hitting, running into these walls, right? You, you get, you finally get, you, you, you had an indication of Lyme from your initial blood test and your mom has a history of Lyme, but they ignored that. Then you finally, you force your, your first rheumatologist to run a test. It comes up back positive. They treat you because they think it's, it's a recent infection. It's not, you hit that wall again. You finally go back to your primary care physician. They test you again and it comes back positive again. Now they're treating you again, but not with the right, you know, with the right combination or the right duration or, or understanding what really you need for a late stage Lyme. So, and all, all of the while you're waiting to see an infectious disease doctor. So what happens at the end of the two months that you're on this oral antibiotic, the doxycycline, you know, in, in that time between uh, seeing your, your infectious disease doctor and finishing up the doxycycline? Um, so, and I just want to say that that nurse practitioner who put me on that, she has been vocal from the beginning that this was not her territory. But she says, I believe you. And that was all I needed. I needed that one person to say, I believe you. And if there's a test that you want, we're going to do it. And I was just like, she, she, I was so broken from this journey and thinking that I was crazy and scared to who to trust and treatments that her just telling me that she would do it at this point. Again, my, my heart was becoming affected. We were having weird test results with e EKGs. Um, is it EEG or EKG? Sorry. EKG. Um, and again, my kidneys were all, all out of whack. So she's just like, man, this is crazy. Um, your kidneys are really affected right now with this. And this is still showing line. So she says, find, you know, the infectious disease doctor, um, who of course works through CDC. Uh, that's why they take insurance. I waited. She put me in the doxycycline. She tried to be as helpful as she could. She was very nice. And she even said like, I, I don't, this is not my territory. And then when I got to see the infectious disease doctor who claimed he has been reading, studying, training, learning, treating for 30 years. Um, I was excited to see it. Everybody in the line forum said, don't waste your time at the ID doctor. But I was like, I got this. I'm strong. That man destroyed me. <laughs> Not only did he break the last little bit of strength I had, uh, he really set me back in my progress because I think that on the doxycycline, after I got through the horrific I, I think I remember feeling some improvement, but not a lot because I didn't have the detoxers and binders, right? You can't just have doxycycline. It's not going to work. You need to have a whole uh, balanced plan. But he put me on azithromycin and Plaquenil. Um, so he took me off the doxycycline and said, enough of doxycycline. You can't have this many antibiotics. If you have too many antibiotics, it's bad for your body. I'm like, okay. So he switched to azithromycin. He tested me. And now because he tested me, um, I went there with positive results, but I was already on doxycycline for two months. So he tested me and they came back only one band again. So he said, oh, this is negative. And I said, no, that's not negative. That's just negative in the eyes of the CDC. But he said, I'm gonna continue to treat you for the, so for like two months I was on azithromycin, Plaquenil. Um, at this point I had a probiotic that was, and he also told me you need to do yoga you need to have a green diet. Okay, those things were helpful, but this man felt like that was gonna cure my problem. And I was also having these issues with this swelling in face and fevers. 
um, and rashes where he was like, this is unrelated. He kept trying to tell me that I was having psychological problems, which at that point I'm like, yeah, I'm telling you I have anxiety from this. <laughs> this isn't something new. He put me on the azithromycin and the Plaquenil. Um, I have mixed feelings about Plaquenil. It did help me with the fatigue. I experienced um, some hair loss from it, um, but I felt like the benefits outweighed that side effect. And then I went to see him and he said, it's negative. And it was like our third, our third visit, maybe third or fourth. And, and he was only an hour and a half away. It was such a trip to get there that I walked in again, barely able to walk. I, when I'm not well, I really have problems with my legs. I had a fever and he was just like, you're faking this. You should be feeling better now. If it was really Lyme disease, you should be feeling better. And I was like, not only am I not feeling better, this is what's happening now. And this is where I was really starting to have confusion spells. Um, and I was actually working with an individual trying to push through this, performing. And I was having bouts and lapses of time where I didn't know where I was or what I was doing. Um, so with that, I wasn't able to drive for like about two months because we weren't sure what was happening. It takes long times to see doctors. Um, I couldn't work. And he basically said, I'm going to take your blood today just to prove to you that you don't have this. You are, you need to go see a psychologist. I left hysterical. And you know what I did? <laughs> I went to see a psychologist. I sat in the shower for two days. I don't, I don't think I left just completely shaking, um, feeling like my body was dying. My soul was dying. I felt like I was crazy and I was not remembering things. And I, and I didn't see or talk to that doctor for two months. All he said was take my blood. I'll prove it to you. I never thought of him again. I saw a neurologist who saw the positive Lyme test, but then saw negative ones. He claimed to be a Lyme neurologist and said, you don't have Lyme disease. Um, but maybe we'll, we'll do an MRI to talk to you about these migraines. It's forgetful. And all I know is after I suddenly stopped, I was on the doxycycline, the azithromycin, the Plaquenil. When I suddenly stopped that, I crashed. I mean, literally two months of not leaving the house, not leaving the bed, not driving, not working. And my MRI results came back that showed white matter lesions on my frontal lobe. And I was just like, what is going on? How are people just not hearing me? How do I articulate to people that I don't feel well? Um, and it was about two months later, I had a voicemail from that infectious disease doctor. And they say, hi, this is Dr. So-and-so. We want to tell you to come back because your Lyme tests are positive. I was like, are you kidding me? First of all, it's two months later. You stopped me mid-treatment. You told me that I needed to see a psychologist, which I did. And I'm glad I did because I still involve therapy as my own part of, you know, healing. But that was the loneliest and saddest and scariest part of the Lyme journey, because I, I believed that I was crazy. And then when I saw that MRI, I, I think I was in shock for a few days. And then I just put on my fighting shoes and I fought and fought and fought. I saw a real LMD. I worked with him for a little bit. Um, he was far away also, but again, this doctor, because of the IgM acute, everyone thinks it's too infection, no matter how long I say I've been sick. He also did doxycycline. 
but he better equipped me with things like glutathione, just dissolvable probiotics. And at that point I was also, um, I was, I was pretty much plant plant plant-based diet and juicing. So that stuff really helped me. Once I cracked, I rebuild, you know, I had a break to rebuild. Um, Johanna, just, I just want to interrupt. So what you've gone through is horrific. And I'm just so sorry that you you were treated that way, and it's absolutely unacceptable, and and it's just infuriating. And it, it we need to change that perception that's out there. You were mistreated by so many doctors, but yet, although yes, you did have doubts, and you did think that maybe it was in your head, it was still you. Every single time you made progress, it was you fighting for your health despite everybody telling you it was all in your head or just migraines. You're the reason you made all these advancements. So I think you should reflect back on what you just said and realize how strong you are as a person. Because if you didn't fight for yourself, you wouldn't be where you are today. And no doctor is responsible for your health today, you are. And I think you really need to reflect on that because it the way you, you were treated, I don't know many people who would fight back the way you did after being treated that way. Yeah, I mean, I am a, uh, a lot of people know things about me. I've always been told I'm very loud, I'm very, energetic when I'm not fatigued. Um, and I'm very emotional. So, um, these, these doubts really played a a hard role on, on, on my emotions and managing it. And, and meanwhile, all through this, any opportunity I had to get out of bed, I worked with those individuals that needed me. Um, so I, I was pushing myself to the farthest extent, um, but, you know, before that, right, the epiphany part of like, I, that's it, I'm doing it. I'm a self-advocate. I know things. I know what tests to do. I know what needs to be done. I know more about treatment. Um, I, I, I fully broke and it was very, it was very sad and it was very scary. It was very lonely. Um, and I just didn't trust this system or this process at all. And when I went to see the other doctor, he kind of, we also found out about, that's very common, that MTHFR mutation. So I have a double variant of that. And that's the one good thing that came out of that infectious disease doctor. He tested me for that. So the other, a real LLMD that I saw said, hey, this plays a role in how you detox and how you heal. Uh, so that really um, sparked my interest in, in, in not just learning about how to treat and how to test and diagnose Lyme disease, but how do you, how do you heal your body with plants and how do you detox? How do you properly hydrate yourself? Um, and I worked with an LMD for probably about four months. I think it was about like a hundred days mixing doxycycline azithromycin to the point where I was on the couch for nine, nine days. My mom literally like threw me over her shoulder and took me to the hospital because I just became mute. I couldn't walk, I couldn't talk, I couldn't eat, I couldn't do anything. And I called the guy back and I said, I'm done. I'm done with medicine. I give up with treatment. I am just done. Um, and then I spent like two years being like antibiotics. No, 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 no. You know, I, I, I had to step back from it and learn more because a lot of doctors were doing one thing, all antibiotics. And the other doctors were doing all holistic. Um, so I went very holistic. I was completely plant-based. I focused on being alkaline, right? Reduce the chance of bacteria, virus, fungi, anything to survive. Um, I don't say, I, I don't think I was ever in a symptom-free remission. I always had symptoms, but I had such a high tolerance to pain 
that uh, I was able to function. Um, but there was two really, really big setbacks um, that I experienced in 2019, 2020, which led me now to the doctor I work with where we're combining you know, nutritionals and holistics with IV because he was very aware that this stage in the game, like Matt, you and I have talked about, a doxycycline is not going to do anything for the for the bacteria in my body. Yeah, you have to go biting. Johan, I just want to interrupt you for a second because, again, you are the reason that you're improving with your health because you finally get this. I'm kind of backing up a little bit here to recap, okay. but you get this brain scan. There's there's clearly these lesions on your brain scan, and you that that's when you go full force. I'm going to fight you, and then you find a, a Lyme literate medical doctor who should be the best person to help you heal, but you end up in a state where you literally can't move and are taken to the hospital by your mother. And then you just give up, right? You give up, but, but you really didn't give up because you kind of made it sound like you gave up and you just said, I'm done, but you researched and found alternative natural ways to heal your body through diet, through um, just through var various other, other means. And you are kind of self-treating yourself for this two-year window. And then you have these, these, crashes that you described in 2019 and 2020 that then forced you to see another Lyme litter doctor, it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, through the way I saw a lot of different doctors, I still saw other rheumatologists. I saw other generals. I tried to go around and, and peek at people's brains to see, hey, what do you know? Do you know anything? Is this worth our time and our conversation and our money? Um, but yeah, when I say I quit, I mean, my body couldn't take anymore. Um, and with those kind of brain scans, the thing that happens most often, and you know, I get very weary to talk about this because I don't want to dismiss anybody, but a lot of people in the Lyme disease community are always told they have MS. And when you have a brain scan that shows lesions, that is the easiest form for them to say this is developing. So, so many people go mistreated and that's what all doctors were starting to tell me you had Lyme disease, you have MS now. And I said, no, I have Lyme disease. And now I'm progressing to a state of brain disease that is showing as MS because I'm not being treated. But also when I say I quit, I, I had to deactivate the Lyme forums. I had to not see doctors for a while. I had to stop reading about it. And I just focused, like you said, on learning how to holistically support my body, uh, how to know exactly what to eat and what to drink to keep me energized, just enough to be able to work, just enough to be able to progress my certifications and educations to continue doing what I wanna do, how to, how to be able to perform. There were many gigs where I was literally like dragged on stage and I was not well, where I had to look at other people and be like, I can't, I can't even remember the words to this song. I mean, I always put on the front of this toughness and but when I went home, the, the weight of it all was a lot. So Johanna, talk to us more about these two events in 2019 and 2020 that forced you to now see your current Lyme litter doctor. Right. So in like March of 2019, I started working with a nutritionist and she was wonderful. She knew all about the MTHFR mutation. She knew about the Lyme disease, my history, uh, um, and I think at that time also I was with an immunologist and, and she did one of those uh, macro or microbiotic tests. And I told her about all the different antibiotics was on, I was on. And when we got those test results back, she was like, whoa, this is like, I've worked with a lot of people. And she said, your system, she said, every single test that we did 
every nutrient is not only low, it's deficient. The only thing that this test shows me is that you have a plant-based diet. So she was trying to work with me through that mutation and me being like, I just can't do any more antibiotics. I'm not, I'm not responding to them. Um, so we worked on this and, and it was over like two months where she was trying to introduce the nutrients that I needed, taking into the account of that this double genetic mutation where I don't methylate. I can't have folic acid. If I have folic acid, my body won't turn it into folate. So you know what happens? It stays in and it becomes toxic. It causes neurological problems. It causes depression. It causes organ issues. Um, and I also only detox at 10% rate where someone who's in treatment needs to be detoxing constantly. And if you don't, you're going to have those negative side effects. Um, and as I started taking supplements to just work on my nutrition, I started having these like weird, uh, like it's, it was just how the, the, the disease progressed. You know, I, I never had these like uncontrollable shakes or, 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 or twitches, um, very seizure like things. And I remember being taken to the hospital. I don't remember much of it. Um, and when I got there, they were like, did you have a seizure? Do you remember? And I was like, I have no idea what's going on. I woke up, I'm here. Um, and my left leg wasn't responding to the, to, uh, the reflex. The one person said, part of your face looks like it's not moving. And I'm like, oh my God. But I was so exhausted that that's when they wanted to do the spinal tap. Cause I said, I, I had tests, I had Lyme disease. They say this autoimmune, I have these results that show lesions. Like is something going on? You know, I was very afraid at that point where usually I wasn't so shocked by what was going on, but because I wasn't able to move my left leg and part of my face wasn't moving. Um, they're like, it has to be MS. They put me through the whole procedure of a spinal tap, which was absolutely the most nerve wracking thing I've ever had to do. Um, basically all to just prove to them that I didn't have specific oligoclonal pans that are bands that are tied to MS to say that Lyme disease causes white matter lesion on the brain. How many more doctors do I need to tell this to until someone hears me? Um, and then it was like a month later recovering from that. And it was Easter day. I came, uh, I was over at my mom's house and uh, the family was all here and I was just very quiet. I, I was having trouble moving my leg again. I almost felt like this episode was coming and I was trying to talk to my mom and I, I literally was like speaking a different language. I, I could hear myself talking, but I couldn't get words out. And on Easter day, she said, that's it. Let's go. Her and one of my very good friends took me to the hospital. I told my friend it was hard to communicate. I basically said, get my results file. And while we were waiting, she put everything in like this, uh, this order for me. So it was very organized. She stayed there with me. Um, and they kept me there that time for seven days and did all of these tests. I had to have a speech therapist come in because I was having a speech delay that after about like five days, of hydration and rest that slowly started to come back, but they were just like, why isn't your leg responding to reflex? My face started to go back to regular uh, response elasticity, whatever you want to call, but they had rheumatologists, they had neurologists. I had a 48 hour um, head scan done. I had a 75 minute MRI done of the brain. And then I had a second one done of the spine. 
they were just like, we don't know what's wrong with you. And I kept saying, it's Lyme disease. And they were like, no, it's not Lyme disease. And I was like, at that point, and this is really where my faith comes in so strong. I just literally laid there and was like, I can't do this anymore. Nobody's listening to me. My body is shutting down. At this point, I just wanted to die. I felt like I didn't want family to come visit me. I didn't want to have other tests done. Doctors were coming in and out for five seconds and everyone was ignoring me. And I just looked around the room like, what is my life? How am I supposed to go back to a regular life and help people or perform or just grow as a human when my body is shutting down and no one knows why? And there was one woman that came in um, and they were doing immunology testing. And she was like, your immune system is so weak. There has to be something more. And it was the one female doctor that came in and she said, listen, if you want to see me after this, this is where I work. This is my card. And before she left, she looked at me and she said, you keep fighting about Lyme disease. And I was like, Lord, I surrender. This is in your hands. I think I actually had that moment of prayer before that woman came in and that woman looked at me in the eye and was like, keep fighting. Um, I learned a lot about my system as, as far as the immunoglobulins about IgM and IgG. One of the reasons I realized my body is always recognizing this infection as a new infection, an acute infection is because I'm deficient in IgG. My body won't even convert new infection to old infection. It doesn't even have the ability to create that memory. So every time I flare up, it's like a whole new infection. It's the whole system fails. But that woman was like, don't give up. And I literally surrendered myself to say, this is out. There is no more that I can do. And I honestly spent about three more days there. And I wasn't in pain. I was just silent. I lost the ability to walk. My talking was compromised. And again, I literally had to have my heart broken to rebuild. And I surrendered and it became really important to me to lean into faith and to people who had faith to build me up with the strength to keep fighting and want validation for my suffering and for other people's suffering. And I left that hospital my mom came with me again to another Lyme literate doctor who I could not afford. My family could not afford. We rallied together. She brought me in and I sat in this woman's office and she just said, you poor thing. And she ran tests that other doctors didn't do. We, we were able to see the cardiovascular issues. I had the kidney problems. I was having the brain function. I was suffering through the Lyme disease and the, and, and the star here is the co-infections never treated. And she, um, she was fantastic. It was hard to see her because of her schedule and the finances, because I was never able to kind of financially grow and be stable with, with a stable career because I was not working as much as I wanted to. After her, I, I changed my lifestyle even more. I mean, there was, uh, there was absolutely no alcohol involved, which wasn't very often, but it was sometimes. I got rid of that. There was limited dairy, limited sugar, absolutely no gluten. I increased my exercise even when I couldn't walk. I taught myself how to rebuild my muscles. 
I kept moving forward with ways to start my company and help the other people who needed help. And I leaned into faith so much. And it was really the first time that the isolation that I had to go through didn't, didn't hurt me. It, it helped me. I was so isolated. I did everything alone. Um, and I had to, because that's how disconnected from the world I became suffering as much as I did for as long as I did. So Johanna, when you, when you are now treating with this new Lyme litter doctor who really seemed like the one who actually listened to you and understood and agreed with you, what other co-infections did you test positive for in addition to Lyme disease? Um, her tests for mycoplasma came back, uh, mycoplasma pneumonia, which is one of the co-infections. And she was saying she was along with another LLMD, the one I work now with, they clinically have diagnosed me with Barton Babesia. Um, so the Lyme disease and that mycoplasma pneumonia came back um, positive. And, and it was basically showing like other other pneumonias and other infections that I had that she tested me for that I was like, Oh my gosh, I was dying this past winter. And all I was trying to do is get out of bed and be able to work and help people. Meanwhile, I didn't know I was, I was walking around with pneumonia because I can't tell when I'm sick anymore. I, I don't know. That's why I've ended up having severe kidney infections because I didn't even know when I was like having a bladder infection. I, I can't, to I, I can tolerate so much pain that you don't know. Um, and with her, where I was in my mind set, uh, where I really surrendered and I wanted to lean on faith and I had to step back from people, from relationships, from, from work and slow down. Um, I performed a lot that summer but my social life completely stopped and I put all of my time into uh, my health and trying to um, eat right, have a healthy lifestyle, sleep training, because sleep is so important. And that was really hard. And like I said, building this community of faith around me and, and, and joining this uh, church, which is Liquid Church, which I love to be a part of in small group and, and having people who are supportive um, so I never really did treatment with her and she was also more holistic. So I was still on the fence. She gave me the answers that I needed to know that I had to keep fighting, but I needed time to get to the place where I was ready to put my armor back on because I was, I had to heal my soul before I could heal myself physically. And that for me came through having a strong faith. I, I had to heal myself spiritually before any physical healing could take place. Joanna, once you finally got to that place, what doctor did you seek out next to finally start treatment again for Lyme disease, hopefully with the right practitioner who is really gonna work with you and help you this time? Um, through then, I'd say that was my longest span of, you know, somewhat symptom remission, uh, symptom-free remission, right? People like to call it remission, that could be a little iffy. Uh, for other people who suffer other illnesses, but like symptom free. Um, I wouldn't, I wasn't symptom free, but I was the most functional because something within me changed. And, and, and again, that's the epiphany. My perspective on everything that mattered changed in that moment. I laid in that bed and I, and I, I surrendered. I just, when I came out of that, uh, it wasn't as painful to say no when I couldn't 
if I couldn't do a gig or if I couldn't work or I couldn't see friends, I realized what was so important. Things that were important now were not important then. And I pushed myself, I ran myself into the ground trying to deal with all I had to deal with and still being that person that I was. Um, and I changed and a lot changed within me. Um, and so I had a long time. Um, I got to spend some time out with my brother, my sister-in-law and his kids. And, and they always, they're just such, they're, they're strong Christians in themselves, but they're just such strong-minded people that when I was there with him, you know, he and I talked about this company that I wanted to do. And in that time frame of 2019, May to February, right after my birthday of February, 2020. Um, yeah. So like that eight, nine months, um, I really got, I really felt strong in my, in my physical health. You know, I still had my symptoms, but I was managing them. Um, and I was starting to guide other people on how they can get themselves to a healthier place just by hydration, by exercise, by wellness, by um, the foods that you eat. And I think I saw my regular practitioner here and there for little checkups, the things that came back we already knew about. And I just kind of wanted to stay away from it because I put all of my energy into starting that company and spending that time with myself um, to really know myself and really decide what am I going to do for treatment? I know the day is going to come. And when it does, I need to know what I'm going to do. So it was February 7th on my birthday last year. And I was volunteering at my church for a night to shine event. And, and I was thinking this is the best birthday I've ever had. I've never felt so independent, self-assured. I, I know I have disabilities with my health, but I felt so great. And it was that night that while I was there working that event, volunteering on that day, I was like, I don't feel well. And it was that I don't feel well that I felt before. And I was like, it's coming here it is. And 18 days later of a headache that was, we could not control it. My regular doctors, the neurologist that we spoke to, it landed me back in the hospital. They put me on oxygen right away. They were giving me magnesium. My face swelled up as if I looked like I was stung by bees. My cheeks were all red. I had brain inflammation. And again, they said, we're keeping you here. We don't know what's wrong with you. At this point, I told him to cut my head off. <laughs> I'm like, I just, I don't care. It was the worst pain I've ever experienced. And it took me 18 days to go to the hospital because I was refusing. And then finally, I just called one of my good friends. I was like, you got to take me. I, I'm, I'm going to jump off my roof or I'm going to put a hole in my head and a lot of steam is going to come out. There's so much pressure. And we went and they did all kinds of tests. They kept me for five days. It was the same thing all the pressure that was in my head went down slowly through neck, through arms, through abdomen, through legs, to the point where I couldn't walk. They had physical therapists in there again. They were doing MRIs again. And a friend of mine who worked at the hospital came in to check up on me. And I said, I just got to get out of here and see the Lyme disease doctor. And she actually said to me, I love you. I want you to get better. But if you say Lyme disease again, they're going to admit you to psych. And I was like, okay. Wow. So I, kept, I kept my mouth shut. And this stay, that hospital stay, the first one was seven, this one was five. The pain was so severe. There were no lights on. Doctors barely came in and out. And I didn't even have, my mom tried to come visit me once and I had to shut the door because I was screaming. It was, 
and they said you're having cluster migraines, um, you're having migraines that have uh, stroke-like symptoms. And at this point, I'm like, I'm probably just having a stroke because everyone's ignoring me. Um, but when I left there, luckily I left right before the pandemic came about. That was a blessing in itself. I think it was very interesting when I reflect on my my faith and my uh, my trust that it took me 18 entire days to give in because that's how tough I am to go to the hospital. And it was like the day after I let left, that's when COVID came rampant. And, and I started isolating sooner. And maybe if I hadn't started uh, isolating sooner and go to the hospital, I would have been out in the community still trying to help. And I could have been susceptible to contracting something like that. That would be very dangerous for someone with my compromised immune system. Um, you know, so I try to have gratitude where I can. And I, I'm thankful that my isolation started sooner. But when I left there, Again, I was like, what am I going to do, doctors? And I saw an immunologist. So we started doing immunology. I was going to see this other Lyme doctor who I worked with already. Uh, they mentioned IV. But long story short, because I know this has been a really long journey, and I appreciate you guys letting me share my story. Um, I didn't feel confident that this doctor had the, the strength that I needed that when I was asking him questions, he was more like, well, what do you want to do? And now I like that to some extent, but I was fearful again. And I wanted someone who said, hey, this is what we're going to do. And this is why. This is what this treats. These are the co-infections. This is the plan. Um, so I spent summer trying to see doctors, which was difficult. Everything was on hold. I was, I was progressively getting worse, uh, which made it very harder to advocate for myself. Um, and it led me to the doctor who I'm with now, um, who I wrote to and they said, hey, he doesn't have a, a wait limit, a wait time. He's just not accepting new patients at all. And I was like, darn, I, I researched him a lot. He seems like he's the combo of holistic and antibiotic that I want. I've taken the time to know what I think would work for me as well. And then the, the, the office wrote us back and said, you know, we do, we've, uh, instilled this new process where you can present your case to him. Uh, and if he can take you, he will. So I said, okay. So I sent all my lab reports. I sent all the MRI reports. I sent my symptoms. I sent my history and he wrote me back, you know, and I was thinking, yay, he's taking me, but I'm not special. I was just an easy case. There was no diagnostic pro process, but he just said, you've been suffering such a long time. If you come and work with me, you have to be committed to intravenous IV uh, because we need to hit that microbes intercellularly. It is way too deep. And on top of that, there's processes as far as keeping the body balanced, like nutritionals and things like this that are out of pocket expense that he said, I, I'll treat you for this. And I think that we have, you know, you have a chance to get well. He said, I can't make promises, but if you can commit to at least six months also follow the pro, pro, uh, wellness program, you know, to keep you balanced, I will start treating you and treat you immediately. He was like, you've been sick for a long time. Like this is getting bad. So that's what led me to see him and where I am now. So Johanna, what is this combination of medicine that you're on now with this Lyme litter doctor that you thankfully got in with and seems to be helping you a lot because 
when you were describing how you could barely speak and you, you had speech issues, I mean, you are just clearly very with it cognitively speaking and doing a great job on this interview. So what is the current treatment protocol that you're using? You mentioned it's a combination of IV antibiotics and other supplements. Yeah, so I'm doing IV um, nutritional, which I would honestly suggest for just everybody in the world to have IV nutritionals. Or before I started my infusions, they wanted me to at least have two. And the whole IV nutritional is to give your body the nutrients it needs and also help you detox out the bad. So I did two of those before I started the IV. Um, and in the IV nutritional bag, I also inject extra vitamin C and extra glutathione. Um, so they're a mix of all different liquid forms of nutritionals, uh, as supplements and vitamins. And then two other times a week, I do, I infuse on my own glutathione just on its own, which is always a hoot. You never know how you're going to feel with that stuff. It's like adrenaline in a, in a, in a, in a bottle. Um, and I have hydration bags every other day to also help me detox along with the schedule I follow with Rocephin, which was daily for six, five weeks. And now it's um, bi-weekly just because I reached a spot. Uh, and I appreciate you acknowledging my cognitive ability because I feel like, um, like I said, if we were talking this time last week, I couldn't put a sentence together. Um, and today I woke up with a little more clarity and, and excitement to talk about it. And I, and I really try to continue training my brain um, because it's really scary when, when you're hyper aware of yourself and all of a sudden you can't say certain words or remember certain things or like why I can see a spoon and a bowl, but not know that you have to use the spoon to eat what's in the bowl, like little simple um, tasks that really become difficult. So Johanna, obviously right now, because you're in the thick of it, you're still having ups and downs, but you're clearly far better than you were. How would you assess your overall health right now at this point in your life? Um, I feel like I'm still the same. Um, I feel emotionally it's been really challenging. I didn't, I thought because I've been through so much that I would be stronger than some of the days I've recently have. Um, my overall health seems to still feel the same. Um, I haven't seen much improvement, but like I mentioned to you guys, you know, also um, I mentioned earlier about purging your emotions to try to, you know, it's like yesterday was a really hard day for me, knowing that we were going to speak and knowing how sick I've been. And I was just for probably two weeks straight feeling like depression was so intense uh, and emotionally having to purge that. But I'm, I always try to be a strong person where you could think that this emotional purging could be weak, um, losing faith in this process. But, you know, I realized last night where I was crying and crying and crying and just, uh, you know, wanting to come here and, and talk to you guys about this journey and my hope for the beginning. But the truth is, is I, all I can do is focus on this moment and take care of myself and have faith. And I think what's so important while, like we said earlier, Rich, while we learn about how to 
physically detox, we have to emotionally detox because if I don't let go um, of this sadness and this weight that I carry, right? I think to myself, imagine if this didn't work, all of these families and people who have donated to my GoFundMe, which blew me away, what does it mean for my future? What if I don't get better? Um, what if this doctor leads me down a road that a past doctor did and, it, and, and you hold these tears in because you want to be strong and you want to have faith, but I feel like you have to purge the emotional and emotional detox to make room for healthy emotions. So we have to get rid of this sadness and this weight that we carry just as much as detoxing the toxins in our body and recognize that having these emotional dark days, this is part of it and to let it go so that the next day, now that space where we carried such heaviness, we released it and now it's open for a little more hope and a little more light. Johanna, we have to thank you for agreeing to do the podcast now. And this is particularly important to us on our platform because we've been criticized by some of our followers for portraying people who are not a good face to line. And it's really important that we, we, we find folks who, who are in the throes of the, of the journey, who are willing and able to come and talk to us the way that you have. Uh, so I, I just want to thank you for that. And thank you for joining us during this stage of your journey, rather than where most of our guests are, where they're, they're on the other end of the journey and they're doing well. And they're trying to, again, in a very giving way, share what their experiences were, but don't look and sound the way someone does when they're in the middle of the chronic journey. So we, we have to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for, for, for being brave and talking to us at, at this time in your journey. So let's talk, about, let's talk about what has been good on this journey and what has been transformational on this journey. You've always been this giving person who's wanted to help people and you've always felt this call to help the, uh, the less fortunate and the special needs. How has this journey helped you to be better at helping people in the special needs community and, and, and people who are uh, suffering in different ways? Well, I think that it's definitely lit a fire within me to really have not just the ability to speak up and state facts, but have the courage to face people who are going to come back at you, uh, you know, and speak up for other uh, families that have disabilities, right? Like, I mean, we talk about disability. This, this is, this is a, this is a health disability that I have that causes challenges in so many areas of my life. I feel like I can relate to other people when they talk about their, their, their real life issue with depression and anxiety and how do you get out? And I'm like, Hey, let me tell you about this time. I sat in the shower for two days and I didn't come out, but something changed and I, and I, and I, I kept going. Um, it's definitely, you know, it showed me where I have to slow down, right? We can't care for others unless we care for ourselves. So it showed me where I have to slow down. Um, having that patience is impossible. I am not a patient person. I make a plan. I make a list. I put it into motion and we get it. And then we're on to the next. So learning to have patience has been, um, you know, a silver lining, which I still struggle with, right? That's why I say, how do you feel about the future? I don't know. And I'm the days when I'm filled with anger, I'm, I'm impatient. So I have to kind of slow down and say, take this moment for what it is. 
Um, but it helps me want to speak up for other people. Like in the Lyme forums, the Lyme community, my story, as awful as it is and, and, and reliving it, it's just, um, it's so hard because the people that saw me through social media or through performance, they literally were like, we had no idea. And it wasn't that I was ashamed of it. I just didn't know why anybody would want to hear about how difficult it was. I wanted to use opportunities when I didn't feel good or I felt good to say, this is why we have to educate, um, you know? So to share this story, I'm sure people, whoever listened to it will be like, that's, we had no idea. Um, and I kind of kept that hidden. And even Matt, like you said, when you first started talking about it, it's really hard to relive the, the trauma that you go through when you experience this. But so many people have a story like mine and I want to fight for them. And I want to fight for anybody who's just overlooked or unheard. And you want to let them know that they're not alone. And that's another one right. of the really beautiful parts of, of you agreeing to do this podcast at this time uh, when, you're, when you're having so many challenges. And again, we can't thank you enough for, for doing that. And I do have one more ask um, of you. Uh, and, and this is the, uh, the question that we ask everyone at the end of our podcast. And that is, if God forbid your mother came walking into your room right after we had this podcast and she had a tick biting her on her arm, what would you recommend that she would do so she wouldn't have to go on a chronic or reinfection journey? Well, we would want to make sure we followed instructions to properly remove. And of, of course, I've read it a million times, but I would pull it up again immediately to follow the instructions to remove it. Um, I mean, you guys have access to... Uh, place on, on your page where you can send ticks to be tested and also immediately get to the doctor and get on, you know, first stage Lyme disease treatment, keep an eye on symptoms. I want to say I, like I joked around, like, uh, just cut your limb off <laughs> at this point. It's not worth it. Just let it go. Um, but, you know, really follow the precautions to remove it safely, have it sent out for testing and get yourself on, you know, preventative or, or, or first stage treatment to keep yourself safe from, from the disease progressing. So no one has used the walking dead as a vehicle for describing what type <laughs> of steps you could take to protect yourself from Lyme disease. And it doesn't surprise me that, uh, Someone like you would come up with uh, a humorous way of describing uh, that. Uh, that yes, so. cut off the limb, <laughs> remove it immediately. Um, you know, and I, I wouldn't actually, the, the whole thing of this is um, one of the things that I really can't wait for when I'll be able to base a, a little bit better of how I'm doing with treatment um, is I was a trail runner and it was always something, it's where I've had my most creative ideas. It's where I've had my most, uh, emotional conversations were with myself. And it's probably one of the places where I got bit. Um, and I never noticed a tick bite. I didn't have that rash. I didn't have that reaction. Um, and just to go back to what you said, how I feel now, um, you know, I feel like I try to always be positive because it's easy to be negative and it's, it's hard to be positive. Um, but like I said, if this interview had been yesterday, I, I wouldn't have, you guys wouldn't have been able to walk me through it because I, I still do question. I have faith in this process, but it requires day by day patience. Um, but I feel that my support system very close to me, uh, my, my world seems very small, but the support from other people, like I said, my, I, I launched a GoFundMe and I was 
I was afraid of it. You know, I've always been the person to help people. So to ask other people for help was hard and, and, and for money in such a time where the world is, is so chaotic and unpredictable. But I feel like having people rooting for me um, has helped. So when I encountered an issue, like I mentioned before, I was taking a week's worth of expired medicine and it made me so sick that my doctor didn't know what to do. The home infusion nurse didn't know what to do. We had no idea. We had no idea. And this just happened. And that's why I was in a place again where I was so sick that um, I, I felt like for a few days there that that veil of darkness came over me where I was very emotional. I, I doubted this. And something that I learned through isolating and learning about myself was you have to have intuition. I had to have the intuition, one encounter to say, a call the infusion and say, and they said, oh my gosh, stop immediately. And I said, okay. But they sent me another batch of medicine. And over the course of a days, this medicine was expiring. I didn't know this is new to me. And, and I was crippled. If there wasn't the pandemic, I would have been back at the hospital. That's how crippled I was. But my intuition said, you know what, call again. I don't care if they think you're annoying. I don't care if they think that you're too much, call again. And they said, oh my gosh, you have to stop. You can't take that. And even though we have professionals that work with us, you have to trust your intuition to say, this is right for me, this is wrong for me. And if I didn't have all that time spent alone with myself, getting to know myself, I wouldn't have had that internal intuition that is kind of guiding me. But I'm also a human, so the sad days are real. Um, the hard days are real. Being physically limited to where I can't make my own food, I can't bathe myself, I can't drive anywhere. Um, it's real. And so this is about six weeks and seven weeks into treatment. So hopefully, you know, hopefully two or three months in, I can say, guys, you'll never guess. I was able to go on a walk today in a trail. And that's how I'll be able to gauge my, you know, health. Thank you for listening to the Tick Boot Camp interview with our guest, Joanna Liberté. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Joanna, and her Lyme disease journey, please visit her Instagram page at Joanna L-A-L-I. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created a Tick Bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided to us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or improvements you would like to offer. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get you automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on iTunes or our website. As always, we thank you for listening.